It's April 1st, 2020, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. This is the new reality edition. Of course, we will always serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. Uh, first up, we'll have uh, Carl Kim from the NDPTC, and he'll join us to tell us about a COVID-19 tracking project. Uh, then we'll be joined by Norman Salas from Farrington High School and Liana Agawili from Fern Elementary School to talk about distance learning in the age of remote work and shelter in place. Now, first up, the Hawaii Island Business Plan Competition, or High Plan, for UH Hilo and the Hawaii Community College students is now a virtual event. Uh, it's the Virtual Kilauea Eruption Recovery App Hackathon that will take place on April 4th to 5th, and this will be on the BusyBee.com platform. So teams could win up to $5,000 in cash. Students, uh, student uh, administ- uh, admission to the hackathon is free with signups available on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, for more information, you can go to BusyBee.com slash HighPlan-Hackathon-2020. And of course, if you missed that, I will put that up on our show notes for later on tonight around 9 uh, PM over on bitemarkscafe.org. With that, I'd like to uh, welcome Carl Kim from the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center, who joins us to tell us about the COVID nineteen tracking project. Welcome to the show, Carl. Oh, thanks, thanks, Bert. Uh, you know all about our uh, NDPTC because you've been one of our trainers uh, for the social media class. That's right, and uh, you know that was a that was a very enjoyable uh, experience, and of course. Uh, you know, I know that you've been, you know, the whole organization has been pretty focused on uh, natural disasters. And, and in, a, in a lot of ways, this is a natural disaster. Uh, normally, we would think of hurricanes and tsunamis, but uh, a, a virus certainly is a natural disaster. So tell us a little bit about this uh, tracking project that you're working on. Well, yeah, you know, because our center is a national center that happens to be based at the uh, University of Hawaii. And what we do is we develop... Uh, training courses on community preparedness, and a lot of our courses uh, involve new technologies, things like drones. We did FEMA's first drone class. We've done a lot of social media and crowdsourcing classes. And so a lot of this uh, work that we're doing right now started uh, with uh, some interest in how would you crowdsource information about uh, the disease, the spread of the disease. And so uh, we've been working together not just with our center, but many partners uh, with the university, with the business community, uh, and, uh, and uh, community groups as well to really collect information about uh, the, the spread of the uh, coronavirus. So what we've done is we've developed a survey, and uh, what, we're, uh, what we're doing is encouraging people to fill this uh, questionnaire out. And it has questions like, have you traveled uh, recently? Have you been to a high-risk location, a, a country, or a place with a, a lot of uh, confirmed cases? Um, do you have the symptoms? I mean, do you have a cough, a fever, uh, shortness of breath? Um, has someone tested positive for the coronavirus in your household? And then what we'll do with that is then track uh, the information uh, and then uh, make some uh, spatial analysis. But we're trying to do this in a way that maintains the confidentiality of the information, uh, and um, and then, but also use it to uh, identify uh, areas of high risk uh, and integrate it with many other data sources that that we have. Yeah, so I, I take it that uh, uh, the 
information that somebody would put in there. I mean, they, they would they would probably have to put in their name and address, but you 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 somewhere along the line anonymize that before yes, it gets yes, to the mapping. Yes, all that information and actually putting in your name and address uh, and those look, uh, specific information uh, is is strictly voluntary if you want us to uh, contact you. For for most people, what the closest we ask for is the nearest intersection of their home. So. Mm. Um, so we're, we're doing everything we can to preserve the uh, anonymity, and we would never reveal people's names or personal information, and nor report, uh, um, you know, individual cases uh, as well, too. So the survey is uh, it's simple, it's fast, it's quick, and it's easy to do. And it'll be uh, an, and already we've received uh, twelve thousand thirty-seven responses to this questionnaire. And what's exciting about this is that many uh, companies in Hawaii have come together and said, well, we want to develop uh, apps and feed into this, uh, into this database as well, too. So, again, uh, these are, this is part of uh, what we're trying to do to, uh, to reach out to the, the, the community, uh, to work with uh, businesses and new technologies, and to kind of support. I mean, you, you know, the first thing that we all need is uh, is good information. And the philosophy of this project is we can go out to the community and ask the community what they think, what they know, what their concerns are, and, and then uh, try to address them. So did uh, um, the 12,000 that you currently got the responses, I mean, uh, there's there's kind of no way to really vet the the uh, the validity or authenticity of the of the data though. So you're sort of taking a chance that it's you know it's truthful. Well, we we do ask some background questions and there are some uh, uh, test logic tests and some other things that we can do to test for the validity of the uh, of the data. And then we can also compare the distributions of our uh, responses. Uh, to known distributions in the population from census data, from other data that we have. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, as, every, as, as you know, this is kind of an imperfect science, but this is part of what, uh, what we do uh, so, as, uh, as researchers. So, Carl, uh, you know, once you get the, uh, what would be a, a realistic sort of data uh, set that you would then go ahead and publish? I mean, now you said you got 12,000. What, what are you, what are you, uh, what's your objective? How many, well, how many uh, data points do you Again, need? I mean, there, there are two different things we want to uh, try to estimate. It's like what percentage of the population is potentially exposed to the virus and has, uh, has symptoms and uh, is at risk of spreading the virus, too. And one of the uh, challenges with this is that for many potential uh, people who are infected, they don't show symptoms. Um, so, again, that also adds to the uncertainty. But then the other side of it, what we're trying to also look at is we know that people who are elderly, that have chronic health conditions, that have other uh, health uh, health challenges, they're most at risk as well, too. And so by trying to understand that, we can develop community-based strategies, perhaps so that healthy people can uh, help uh, keep uh, those people that are most at risk in their homes so that they can shelter in place and uh, and then uh, protect themselves as well, too. So okay. we well, need to do a better job of uh, protecting the community against this uh, disease because it is a global pandemic and resources are stretched very thin, not just in Hawaii, but across the world. So, so, so uh, uh, Carl, real quickly, where can people uh, take a look at the, you know, the survey and, and participating in it? Sure, you can go to our website, uh, ndptc.hawaii.com. 
edu, <coughs> and then there are also several other uh, efforts to push uh, people towards the survey. There's a, a group called Aloha Trace, uh, and another one, Hawaii uh, Fights uh, COVID. Uh, those are two other groups that are are pushing um, uh, potential people. Uh, to our websites and to the survey itself. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Carl, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Bert. And of course, right now Stay we'll safe and healthy uh, and uh, and keep up the good work. We really appreciate your work. Thanks, Carl. <clears throat> right now we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Norman Salas from Farrington High School and Liana Agawili from Fern Elementary School. Uh, they're joining us by phone, and of course, uh, we're keeping our social distancing. And of course, they'll be talking to us about. Uh, teaching students as they shelter in place. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now I'd like to welcome Norman Salas from Farrington High School and Liana Agawili from Fern Elementary School to the show. Norman teaches honors and sheltered English language arts classes over at Farrington High School, uh, where he also leads the English language arts department. And Liana teaches the second grade and has been teaching for seven years in the DOE. She's also the 2017 Locations Foundation Top Teacher Award finalist. I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still yeah. here. Oh, great. Okay. Hi. <laughs> well, uh, I would like to maybe start off by uh, both of you are teachers. You know, when when this uh, uh, sort of shelter-in-place order kind of came in, I think uh, you, you were both uh, maybe on spring break, right? So, uh, well, tell me a little bit about let, – let me start with, you know, what uh, – you folks teach in your classes, and then, uh, then we'll kind of get into you know the sort of the transition from uh, being in class to you know now doing kind of remote uh, remote classes. But uh, uh, maybe Liana, tell us a little bit about your your second grade class. What do you what do you teach? I teach second grade. Um, I teach all subjects, so reading, writing, math, science, social studies. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a one to one school, so we. Yeah, every student does have a Chromebook at school um, or a iPad, tablet type of um, tool for kindergarten and first grade. Oh, very good. And, yeah. So, uh, um, Norman, I mean, how, how's your how's your typical class conducted? Yeah, um, I teach two different English one classes. One is a sheltered English class. Um, this is a class of all English language learners. And my other class is an English honors class, and both classes are freshmen. We are not a one-to-one school, just like Leanna's um, elementary school. But in the classroom, we have Chromebooks where we typically use it during a school day. Um, I'm doing essays, typing essays, or recording um, discussions, or interviewing people over Google Meet. So it's kind of a hybrid blend between technology and traditional teaching. So tell me, what is, a, what is sheltered English? So sheltered English is um, we are teaching the English curriculum and we are also scaffolding it so that our English language learners, which is 100% of the class, can have access to the English language curriculum. 
because many of the students that I have are either newcomer to Hawaii or students who arrived here in the last five or seven years. So is it is it kind of a form of uh, you know like uh, another way of calling it uh, sheltered English in in lieu of uh, English as a second language or something? Yeah, um, it's kind of different because in the English as a second language class, the classes are acquiring language, supporting students to learn English language. Mm -hmm. And in the sheltered English class, you are helping the students acquire, acquire English. And at the same time, you are also helping them develop skills in literature, develop skills in reading, which they also do in an um, ESL class. But in a sheltered English class, it's very typical English class where you have to write essays, read literature, analyze literature, and all the things that you typically expect from an English class. It's just having ELL students and making sure that they are successful in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Now, for for both of you, I mean, it sounds like a, a, a typical class would be very hands-on and, and, and probably more so in a, in a second-grade class because when you're teaching everything and you have all the students... Uh, uh, with their, you know, attention on on you, uh, Liana. I mean, you know, it's it's definitely a a face to face kind of experience. So, you know, as you as you sort of transition from the in class experience and then kind of going from uh, this sort of work at home uh, environment, what what was it that kind of went through your mind as you needed to, to you know start thinking about transitioning? I wasn't ready, Bert. <laughs> 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 you know, like, because um, we were going into spring break and um, there were no um, talk about right. closing school right. after spring break. So my mindset was, I was I'm going to go back in the next week, um, pick up where we leave, left off and um, go from there. But when we started um, finding out that there's a like impeding school closure, which eventually happened, Liana and I are actually in the middle of planning a professional development, which was supposed to happen this last Saturday, where it's a gathering of one almost um, about 100 teachers at Hahaione Elementary School. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that Liana and I thought is like, we need to cancel this because we can't hold this gathering. <laughs> but at the same time, we thought it's valuable for this professional development to happen because right around this time is when teachers need support and help from each other. Mm -hmm. And that's when we decided that while all the chaos of planning for our classes, Liana me and the team that's planning on conference decided to go virtual and hold the professional development online. Okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, let's 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 talk a little bit about that. But but Leanne, I mean, so Norman kind of experienced uh, you know this sort of uh, uh, sense of uh, I'm on on you know spring break and and all of a sudden the reality kind of struck. I mean, did you kind of go through that same experience? I think I was nervous. <laughs> I think nervous is like the nice way of putting it. Um, it was the one thing that I thought about was how our children. So Norman and I actually teach in the same complex area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so a lot of the students, not just in school, but they don't have necessarily Internet or the devices at home that are going to be available for them, like how they do at school. So my thought process was, if we're moving into distance learning, how are we going to like help them learn and how are we going to tend to every child and provide them the same opportunity and um it 
I think that was what my biggest worry was and what made me so nervous. But knowing that our principals had come together and they've been working so hard, like just making sure that we all have a plan, I commend all of them for um, making sure that we are ready to go for our students and we've been doing it for, this is the second week. <laughs> and it, it's been a challenge, um, especially coming from second grade, because it is very hands-on, just like yeah, effort. Yeah. And, I, and um, I just try to be there for my kids and we're trying to talk and meet as much as we can. So, so, so trying to build that connection with the family. So yeah. back, so uh, you know, you said something that was kind of uh, near and dear to my heart. The fact that you know, in classroom, you have the equipment, you have the connectivity, so you don't really think about the the need for how how they would perhaps uh, need to connect somewhere else. But then now that they're all at home, I mean, what was the what was the solution that got them connected to something, or are they? still perhaps working from a paper-based, um, you know, lesson plan? I mean, how did, you, how did you fill that gap? So every school has chosen to choose a different path for them, just like how Dr. Kishimoto has shared, our state superintendent. Um, our school has chosen the packet because it's accessible for all students. Mm-hmm. So at least for my school, we did um, packets, and every grade level worked on it together, and then we... They passed it out. Um, the parents came to pick it up. Okay, so uh, so Friday so, and Monday, and then on our website for school, we had um, we like so all grade levels took um, took turns to put in different websites, and we built our school website. And some classes have also done classroom websites. There's several teachers that we learned through the 808 Unconference that they. Had, they're using Seesaw. They're using um, some are using ClassDojo. They're still using Google Classroom programs that have been used throughout the school year as well to help prepare the students for um, technology. And even for like our platform for the 808 Unconference, we use Google Classroom to help put our own teachers and our community, our um, like our community, just to help them understand this is what our kids are going to go through when we put them on those computers without us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so what you what you did was I I heard you say that you uh, opted for the packet, right? And and so that means that for your class, uh, instead of having them be required to go online in some manner, uh, they basically received the packet uh, that they would would basically work from. Is that is that correct? Yes, because it would bring or it would be like everybody would have the same materials and everybody would be given the same opportunity by doing so Mm -hmm. now uh, i'm curious uh, how did you maintain uh communications with your students i mean is it i would imagine you know i don't let's say you have 25 kids i mean are you calling them all up i mean how are you actually keeping in touch with them so we some teachers have been calling. Um, I did so myself as well. One of the things that my class is really looking forward to is a weekly video conference. So the friends that have um, phones mm-hmm. or a tablet or any technological device, I have taught the parents how to use um, WebEx, which is what uh, Hawaii DOE uses. And 
It has been a very interesting experience. I actually just got off a call with them wow. <laughs> like a couple hours ago. <laughs> so you, you, you got the parents to kind of jump on to a WebEx. Now, what if, uh, what if the parents, what if the home didn't have a connection? They just, uh, you just have to call them up and talk to them kind of uh, over the phone about, about uh, the lesson plan? Yes. And um, our school has been calling them actually too. So it's, they've been there. We've, all been trying to make connections with the families as best as we can. Wow. Okay. So that's uh, that's uh, that's interesting. Now I I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the the kinds of technology that you Norman uh, use for your your high school kids, uh, and also I want to talk a little bit about this uh, 808 unconference. But first, I want to hold that thought. We want to um, take a short break. Oh. Well, you don't have a break, so I will continue this conversation. We're talking to <laughs> – I thought we had a second break. Uh, we're talking to Norman Salas from Farrington High School and Leanna Agawili from Fern Elementary School. Of course, if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking about how they keep the students engaged uh, through the, the learning environment, uh, especially when everybody is sort of sheltered in place. So, uh, And then, of course um, – uh, I wanted to kind of get into some of the the applications that that uh, you folks uh, you know like are maybe your go to applications and and I know Liana you said uh, you you WebEx is uh, something that you use because uh, the DOE uses it uh, Norman when you when you mentioned the 808 unconference and that was a uh, an event for I don't know maybe uh, you said hundred a hundred participants I mean what did you what did you choose to deliver that on? We decided, um, so there were, we talked a lot of ideas during brainstorming. We um, talked about doing a flip um, series on Flipgrid to model how teachers could use these technologies. Uh, but at the end of the day, we decided to deliver the um, professional development through Google Classroom because this is what our students are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And we use it in school. So... Um, I think most high schools and I think um, across the state, we use Google Classroom because um, and students use it. Uh, this is where they do their work. They do their essays, Google Docs, Google Forms, Google Sites, and all these um, all amazing apps that are embedded in it. And the thinking behind why we chose Google Classroom is because we always use it from the teacher end. So we know how the interface looks like from our side of the screen. But we do not know the experience of our students when they access things online through Google Classroom. So we kind of um, demonstrated um, that this is the experience of the, the students when they are using Google Classroom. There are tabs that are present that are not in your teacher, um, teacher page, or there are things that you can do with a teacher in Google Classroom that our students cannot do. So kind of like giving them that experience. So the following week when we eventually started, we are more mindful about the things that we are posting or the discussion, or the types of things that we are doing in the Google Classroom. So now, in in uh, Leanna's case, she said that uh, you know the uh, the decision was to go kind of with packets because a lot of kids maybe didn't have a connection at home. And in in your case, uh, Norman, when everybody is sort of using uh, you know Google Class to submit their homework assignments. Uh, is the assumption that all the students that you, you have have Internet connections? 
Uh, no, um, Liana and I are from the same um, school complex, so our students, a lot of our students don't actually have devices mm-hmm. or connection to internet. Even their phone plans do not have unlimited data, so that is um, very challenging. So at Farrington, we're running in these hybrid models where we are delivering content in multiple ways. So today we started our first pickup for students who do not have reliable access to technology. So they picked up work for the week. And um, so the instructions are there. We made sure that it's explicit so that parents can help them with instructions because that um, face-to-face time that they have with teachers explaining the instruction is eliminated. But for those students who are picking up packets, we made sure that we gave them um, details about how they can contact us, a phone number where they can reach us if they have a question, our email address, and even a link to a virtual um, Google Meet so they can video chat with us if they have access. Mm-hmm. And also we have the students who have access to a computer or a cell phone with data or Wi-Fi or internet. And those are the students that we are continuously engaging because um, the students miss school a lot. And that's, I mean, and it kind of like makes me really emotional these past few days because all my students talk about that. That's why we're maintaining that connection with them, um, even if they're picking up packets, or even if they are engaging with us online. Now, now uh, you know, both of you are, I think, uh, probably very technically uh, uh, competent and, and, and know these tools really well. Uh, and, I, you know, you don't have to name names, but, I mean, how, do, how are some of your other teachers perhaps embracing this sort of new reality? I mean, are they, are they as... Uh, experience as you know as you folks are with some of these tools or is there a learning curve for them as well well to be honest with you i think liana and myself had had our own share of learning curve because we had to figure out different ways to engage the teachers who are participating in 808 on conference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we had to learn new applications like jamboard we learned that from denise and discord and all these cool apps that we could embed so we had to try out those so that we can roll it out to our teachers and our students. And we also have a lot of teachers who, just like us, they're experiencing challenges. And it's fine. It's really cool because I'm learning how to kind of troubleshoot in my end. So in WebEx, you can share your screen to each other and you can take control of the other person's screen from virtually anywhere. So yesterday I was in a WebEx conference with a teacher where I was controlling his computer from my kitchen and helping him, teaching him different ways of doing things in the website that he was using. Well, that's cool. Now, you know, we we only have maybe about a a minute left, but uh, I'll I'll give Leanne this chance to share a little bit of some quick thoughts on how you think your your learning experience going through this work at home and, and, you know, shelter in place, how do you think it'll actually... uh, in terms of you know the the future of education, I mean, what are things that are going to be sustained after we get to uh, this sort of new reality post coronavirus? I think that education is going to be so different now. I think that it's a making a lot of us collaborate in ways that we've never collaborated before. There's things that like I'm learning from other teachers who have like various resources. And I think that it's making us so much more innovative. We're thinking outside of the box. Like 
WebEx is not just the only platform. Um, some teachers have been using Google Meet. Um, teachers on Twitter, like if you ever check out Twitter and you hashtag 808educate, there are so many resources that teachers have been sharing with each other. And it's just amazing to see how much we're all collaborating because we just want so much for these kids and we still want to be there for them, even though physically we are not there with them. Well, thanks. Um, thanks, uh, uh, Liana. And I really appreciate all the uh, input that you guys have provided. Norman Salas leads the English language arts over at uh, Farringdon High School and Liana Agawili teaches second grade over at Fern Elementary School. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Bert. Thank you. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about securing your work-at-home system. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.